Let's open up our, our time uh, by reading the scripture together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 16 uh, through 17 today. Verses 16 to 17. This is what the word of the Lord says. It says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet, now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Amen. Let's pray one more time together. Dear Lord, uh, again, we just, we just pray that you would bless our time. Thank you so much, Lord, for the time of worship that we had together. And uh, Father, we look to you to do great and marvelous things through the worship of this church. I pray, Lord, it is my sincere prayer, Lord, that I would just simply fill a, a Lord, a temporary intermediate role, that you would raise up among us, Lord, uh, people for your praise, Lord, people that would want to lead your church in worship, and, and Father, people that are gifted in all sorts of different areas of ministry, God. We just pray that you'd make our church a vibrant church, a thriving church, a church that is alive, Lord, and that is filled with the life of God. Father, we pray that you would bless our time as we look at your word today, that God, that you would show us and remind us, Lord, I feel like so often you are reminding us of so many fundamental things, but I pray today that you would remind us and help us to take these things to heart. Help us, Lord, to really, truly relish what your scripture is saying to us today. We bless you. Father, we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, so, following up on the Apostle Paul's uh, section where he sort of resumes a description of his ministry. Um, he, he gets into the whole subject of dealing with his ministry and how he labored and how he ministered in the fear of God and both with the love of God in his heart. And because of that, he seeks to show the Corinthians that they too were no longer to live for themselves, but to live for the one that died and rose again on their behalf. And that is really a description of the Christian life. The Christian life, I like what Calvin says, he said that above all, the praise of the Christian life is self-renunciation, that we want less of self and more of God. That is really what the Christian life is all about, less of us, more of you, that timeless passage where the, um, uh, the, the prophet John the Baptist says, Lord, may I decrease and may you increase. And uh, that sort of progression has begun if you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. And that is really what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the fact that there has been a fundamental change in all, all of our lives if we are in Christ. If you are not in Christ, well, then you're quite comfortable in the way you've been living your whole life. If you're not in Christ, then you're, you're quite comfortable with the standards and the philosophies and the ethics and the morals of this world, and you can't even conceive of another. But to be in Christ means that there has been a radical 
alteration to your life. There's been a revolution, we could say, of everything about your life. To put it in simplest terms, Jesus said, being born again. That's what it means. You've had a rebirth. There's been a regeneration of the heart. And really, that's what the apostle focuses on right here. Let's look again. I want to point out two things that have to do uh, with the new creation. And number one is that it imparts to us what we could call a new nature, a new nature. There's been a fundamental change in our nature. Let's look at verse 16 again. He says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. You know what? one of the most amazing things about conversion is the element of, of, of sanctification that takes place in conversion, that you are made holy at conversion. But how do we understand that? You are sanctified in a very distinct way upon your conversion. It's what theologians call definitive sanctification. And definitive sanctification literally speaks to the fact that, that there has been a once and for all change in your life that took place at the moment that you were born again, at the moment that you were regenerated, that you were converted before God, there was a, there was a, a shift that took place in your life. There, there was a mind shift. There was a, a shift of motive. There was an entire uh, shift of heart. God gave you a new heart. My dear friends, if you don't know if you have this new heart, I tell you that it is your number one ambition in life to to find out whether or not you have this new heart, to ask God to give you a new heart if you don't have it. It is uh, what the Scriptures call being circumcised in your heart. The flesh has been cut away. The old heart has been taken out, the heart of stone, and God has given us a heart of flesh, which speaks of what? Which speaks of a heart that is, that is sensitive and that is responsive to the will and to the Word of God. A heart of stone means you are not responsive to the Word of God. A heart of stone means that you have not changed. A heart of stone means that when the Word of God and the Spirit of God are convicting and applying the Word to you, God is applying it to you, your heart is not responsive. You're immovable. You're like Israel, stubborn and stiff-necked. You refuse to be moved out of the way. You're like a stubborn mule in the middle of the road that just won't budge. Well, maybe here in Texas to have a, a real-life uh, application, any of you uh, go through some of the parks around here, like the park by our house, Bear Creek, you go through their little street, and there's these ducks. And these ducks are so stubborn. They just sit in the middle of the road, and they'll literally they'll see the car coming, and they'll, they'll just plop down on the cement. They're, they're just, I'm not going anywhere. And that's the way the old heart is. That's the way the heart that has not been renewed, that has not been... Uh, a transplanted with a heart of flesh, that's the way it is. They hear the commands of God, they understand the will of God and what it says, the, they hear the demands of Scripture, but they will not move, they won't budge. And so the Apostle Paul is saying that we have undergone a deep transformation. He talked about this transformation back in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, you remember. He says this, but we all with unveiled face beholding in the mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord the Spirit. And that transformation begins 
at conversion. It begins at conversion. It's very drastic. And depending on how you were converted, I talked a little bit about this last week, but depending on how you were converted, maybe there will be an outward sign of a drastic change. I like the way that um, A.W. Pink talks about the new birth. He said sometimes, talking about John chapter 3, where Jesus says the new birth is like the wind. A.W. Pink says sometimes the wind blows so hard, everybody, everybody around knows that the wind is, they can, everyone can see the effects of the wind. But sometimes the wind blows so gently and soft, you can hardly detect it. Depending where you're at on the scale or the spectrum of that experience is really irrelevant. The question is, has there been a change? Has the wind indeed blown? Has the Spirit indeed vivified you, given you life, regenerated your heart so that now... Everything has changed. And he really focuses on a couple of things here. He focuses on, notice Paul's uh, uh, focus here. It's on human relationships. He says, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. And I think he's prompted to do that because back in, in, in uh, in verse 15, he was talking about those that don't live any longer for themselves And then he compares them with those that care about appearance, those that are uh, 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 concerned in verse 12, for example, about appearance and not heart. And so Paul is saying, look, for the Christian, it's totally different. We don't have these carnal, fleshly standards anymore so that we don't recognize anyone according to the flesh and so that we have to define what does it mean to recognize someone according to the flesh. Well, here the flesh, I think, speaks primarily about what life apart from the Spirit is like with all of its standards, with all of its ethics. Do you recognize people in this life according to the flesh in a non-spiritual way, in a merely human way? Do you assess people merely based on their status, things like their color, their race, their gender, their ability, their strengths, their influence, their wealth, their intelligence, their possessions, and their social status or their fame, their influence, whatever it may be. Those are not the things by which we recognize people anymore. And notice what he says. He says, says, therefore, from now on, we recognize, and that word recognize is really important, because he's basically saying that, that there is a new disposition. If you would, there is a whole new world and life view. Now that you are in Christ, now that you are a new creation, as he's going to go on to say, he's sort of working backwards here, but he's saying, look, now there's an, uh, there's an enduring uh, uh, a disposition, a new disposition that remains. When he says we no longer recognize, he actually uses a perfect tense verb, which means there is a settled, matter-of-fact change that has taken place. And there is, a, there is a recognition, there's a way in which we talk to people, there's a way in which we relate to people that has been forever altered. It has been forever altered. We can no longer just talk about the weather with people. That's not what life is about. We can no longer just talk about what's going on in, in Hollywood or in the music scene or in the fashion scene or, or, or anything else. Our whole lives are now spiritually minded. We are mindful of the things of God. We are mindful not of the things that are seen, but of the things that are unseen. Is that you? 
Does that describe you today? That, that you are mindful of the things that are not seen because the things that are not seen are eternal things? That's what Paul is talking about. The condition of someone's soul. The condition of someone's doctrine. The condition of someone's spirituality. Someone's holiness. Those are the things that ought to predominate our relationships with other people. There were those in Corinth that were opposing Paul. He talks about them already. These were those that cared about appearance, merely appearance, and not in heart, not in character. And one of those things, as the book is going to unfold, is that they were probably uh, 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 either swaying the, the Corinthian church through Judaism they were focusing maybe on their Jewish customs. Maybe they were focusing on charismatic activity and proclaiming themselves to be prophets and spiritual. That is certainly in the Corinthian situation. But you see, all of those external things the Apostle Paul laid aside. You remember in Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 to 8, he says, These are all the things that I laid aside for one supreme ambition, for one supreme goal, and that is to know Christ, to know Him. His opponents had sinister motives in the way that they related to people. Let me just read you Galatians chapter 6, maybe for a good parallel passage here. Galatians chapter 6, verse 12. He sort of speaks of, there. The, obviously, the Judaizers. He says, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised, to adopt these Jewish customs simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So they are man-centered in a number of ways. They're seeking converts that they can demonstrate through carnal means that they've been converted to Judaism, and they're also seeking to avoid persecution. So there's a fear of man. There's a desire to please man, to make a good showing to man, and there's a deep fear of man. But the believer should not be dominated by these things. We are not to be dominated by a fear of man or, or, or a desire to be pleasing to man. But first and, and foremost, our desire is to be pleasing to God, to be pleasing to God. He says, he makes this comparison here, that we no longer recognize people according to the flesh. He says, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. What does that mean? Christ was in the flesh? Of course not. Is it referring to Christ in His incarnation? No. It's, it's talking about the fact that there was a time where Paul was in the position of the flesh, where he saw in Christ nothing but, but fleshly things, and he assessed who Christ was along human wisdom. He failed, in other words, to see and to recognize Christ for who He really was. You see how powerful that is? In the same way that we no longer think of Christ merely along our human lines, our carnal lines, our, our, our fleshly wisdom that we once were dominated by, in that same way, we don't look at others according to the flesh. This is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when they are relating to one another in a non-spiritual way. He says, are you not acting like mere men? We are not mere men. We are spiritual men and women. Conversion means that there has been a revolution in the way that we relate to everyone. And it begins with Christ. At conversion, we see Christ for who He really is. We no longer see Him along our sinful nature, along the lines of our sinful minds. 
We never see him through the, or in accordance, that's literally the way it works, in accordance with the flesh. We no longer relate to Christ that way, so we should not relate to anybody else that way either. Let not the flesh impress you, brothers and sisters. Don't be impressed by the flesh and what people can do in the flesh. In the flesh. Those things mean nothing. Scripture tells us, let, let he who boasts, boast in the, in the Lord. Let not the mighty man boast in his strength. Let not the wealthy man boast in his riches. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let him who boasts, boast in this, that he knows and understands me. That is what our boasting is all about. And it really affects everything, doesn't it? You become a Christian, and all of a sudden, everything in your life goes haywire. At least it does in a lot of people's lives. Especially if you're reared in a non-Christian home. You start professing Christ, living for Christ, talking about Christ, wanting to serve Christ, and all of a sudden, you face all of this opposition. You face all this opposition, even from your own family. So Jesus says the enemies of, his, of a person will be those of his own household. So even those relationships, you know the passage. You know the, you know the, the section that Jesus talks about here. He says that, that if we love our father or mother or brother or sister more than him, we are not worthy of him. We are not worthy to be his disciples. That is to say that life cannot continue as it always has. That if Jesus is not driving a wedge between you and your unsaved family members, Jesus is not a factor in your life. He is still relegated to the, to the realm of simply a, a token religion. You still have the man upstairs theology. Jesus is not a real living, thriving person in your heart and life. He has made no difference in your life. He has made, you've made no sacrifices because of Christ. He hasn't cost you anything. But if you look at the real Jesus... The Jesus of Scripture, He will cost you everything. He will cost you everything. He may cost you your marriage. He may cost you your, the most intimate relationships with your family members. Your own mother may turn to hate you one day because you've become so religious. You've become so spiritual and you're so holier than thou now. Always talking about Jesus this and Jesus that. This is exactly what happened to the apostles. This is exactly what happened to the early church. They were derided. They were persecuted. They were mistreated because they had been with Jesus. They could not get the stench of Jesus off of them. And because of that, the world hated them exactly like Jesus said they would. Like Jesus said they would. Um, Paul, the apostle, he submitted to the mind of Christ. He no longer lived according to the flesh. He no longer had a carnal worldview. He submitted himself to the wisdom of God and to the mind of Christ contained in Scripture, and he instructed the church to do the same. Let me read to you just a couple of these um, passages, okay? Because not only does Christ affect your world or your family relationships, but he also affects your total worldview, right? Your wisdom. You once had an opinion about religious matters, right? You once knew, you thought you knew who Jesus was, was and you had a handle on those types of things. But when you come to Christ, there is an authentic relationship with God that, trans, that transcends and completely transforms all of those ways of thinking. Totally sets them aside. 
Colossians chapter 2, Paul tells the Colossians there, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to what he calls the elementary principles of the world. Now, the reason I apply this text is because that phrase, the elementary principles of the world are what? It's anything that is of a man-made system of belief or thought. It is man-made religion. It is a man-made philosophy. It is an earth-bound way of thinking. It is a thinking and a philosophy and a theology and a doctrine and a teaching of any kind that does not originate in Holy Scripture. That's what it is these elementary principles of the world. And he goes on to even talk about that. In this case, in Colossians, we're talking about legalism. We're talking about asceticism, harsh treatment of the body. There were people going around telling the Gentiles, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. They were treating their bodies harshly. They were elevating the teachings of man over the teachings of God. And Paul says, no, stay away from that type of carnal wisdom. Stay away you have been changed. You've, you're, you're different than that. You've had a total transformation. Your worldview is not, does not originate in the traditions of men. That's the whole thing. Knowing Christ will always lead away from false religion, away from heresy, away from false philosophies. Uh, philosophies of every kind are out there. People have all sorts of point of views and perspectives on Christ and religion, especially you hear them on the holiday season, right? The, 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 the news and the media, they're just buzzing with all sorts of liberal ideas about Jesus. Just a few months ago, an article came out, was Jesus married? Did Jesus have a wife? Oh, finally, here we are 2,000 years later, we finally discover that Jesus may have had a wife. And then, of course, it all proves to be a hoax, and then it dies out and nobody talks about it ever again. They just use it to try to deceive They use it to try to confuse people, and it's ultimately all controlled by the influence of the devil who has the whole world in his lap, who the whole world is under the sway of the evil one, that's what Scripture says, influencing them, shaping and molding the way they view things, especially when it has to do with God. But see, brothers and sisters, we are a new creation. We are new creatures. All things have passed away. And so we don't regard anybody, neither man nor God, according to the flesh any longer. The flesh has been done away with. We have set the flesh aside. We are are called to put to death the flesh, the works of the flesh, the futility of our mind. Peter tells the church, set aside, set aside the futile thinking of your fathers. How about that? Well, this is what I've always been taught. This is the way that I've, this is the way my parents raised me. This is what I was taught to think about religion. You just go to church, you do the Christian thing, but then when you leave church, you just leave the whole Christian thing in the church. Don't bring it home to you. Coming home, home is the time for football game. Church, that's where you be a Christian. Here, you just, you know, go back to just living a normal life. That's not how it works. All the old things have passed away. Let's look at the next verse there, verse 17, because that is really what's driving all of this. This this verse right here, verse 17, is so beautiful, right? It's a time, it's such a timeless 
text. We quote it all the time. If anyone's in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, everything's become new, right? And it's right smack dab in the center of Paul's ministry and specifically his ministry of reconciliation. This is what reconciliation with God produces. It produces a whole new nature in you because it produces a whole new creation. That's actually the way the word actually works. New creation. I know the NASB here has new creature and that's fine. But let me just be a little bit picky here and a little specific, okay? Because the word creature is a little different. The word here is simply, the the lexical form is simply creation. And I think there's a reason why he states it like that. Because creature limits the word, in my opinion. Creation implies a lot more than just what happened to you. Creation means there's a whole new world that God has created around the believer. It's not just the believer that has changed, but it's everything around him in a sense in terms of his relationships, just like we've seen. Yes, there's the, the, he is a new creature, but he's, I think he's using the language on purpose as an analogy to the new creation. See, for a Jewish, a Jewish mind, for, for the Apostle Paul, talk of a new creation is nothing new. He's, he's, he has the background of Jewish theology. He knows the texts, for example, in Isaiah chapter 65 that talk about the new creation. He knows about the new creation to come, and obviously we know about the new creation, especially because of Revelation 21 and following, the new creation that God will ultimately create. But what's so great and grand about conversion is that on a micro level, you and I are sort of a microcosm of the macrocosm of the new creation. The, the fact that one day God is going to renew the universe, that one day God is going to have a new heavens and a new earth, that sort of new creational idea begins now with us. We are, in a sense, the foretaste God is at work. His new creation is coming, and how do you know? Because you're a new creation. And you're already, in a sense, the first fruits of that coming creation. He's already talked like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you remember what Paul says there. For the God who said, and he talks in creational language, light shall shine out of darkness, going back to Genesis, is the one, and then this is our conversion, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of of Christ. And then Galatians chapter 6, verse 15, again, we are a new creation. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's what it's all about, being renewed. And so what is new creation language all about? It's the same language that talks about being born again. It's the same language that talks about in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, being regenerated John chapter 3, being born again. James chapter 1, verse 18, God giving birth to us by the exercise of His will. Of His will. That's what it means. It's, some, it's somewhat synonymous with the idea of the new self. We've been, the old self is gone, the new self is here. It's really, really amazing. And it all has to do with our union with Christ. Look at what he says. He says, if anyone is in 
Christ. See, that is the key that unlocks, well, that might be an overstatement, but that's a huge key. And it unlocks a lot of things in Paul's theology, this idea of being in Christ. I wrote a whole book on it. Maybe you should read it of being united to Christ and being out of Adam and being in Christ. Are you still in Adam? If you are in Adam, it means that you are subject to Adam's guilt and corruption and to his death sentence. You ever wonder why you're going to die? You ever wonder why people die all around us? It's because of the Adamic curse. It's because of the curse that was, that was given to us through Adam and his sin when he was imputed to us. And in order for that sin to be removed, you need to be in someone else. You need to be in Christ. Such beautiful language, such beautiful. And notice he says, if anyone, I love that, if anyone, meaning that he's not making any distinctions of those who can be in union with Christ. It can be Jew, it can be Greek, it can be bond, it could be free, it could be slave, it could be male, female. There is no distinction of those who can be in Christ. And if you're in Christ, then you are a child of Abraham. If you're a child of Abraham, then you are a fellow heir of the promises of God. So extensive, this theology of being in Christ. So extensive. Now, let me just, let us just go then to two aspects of this new creation, okay? Because here we are given some negative effects and some positive effects. Obviously, the negative effects is that contained there in the phrase, the old things passed away. He doesn't just say the old man passed away. Again, this is why I say he kind of extends this a little bit. In Colossians chapter 3, he uses a very close Greek parallel. It's a little different because there in Colossians, he actually uses the word man, the old man. But here, he simply leaves it at this, the old things the old things. So he's not just talking about what has been affected in us, but what has been affected around us, around us, our whole situation, our whole environment, if you would, our whole circumstance, our entire worldview has changed. And the old way of thinking, the old way of living, the old way of living without Christ, without the Spirit is gone, or at least it should be, right? We should do away with the old man. We should do away with old things, These old things, therefore, are all of the ways that we used to relate to God and to people prior to being in Christ, prior to being in Christ. I like what John MacArthur says about this word. He says, the transformation that has been wrought in the new birth is not only an instantaneous miracle, but it's also a lifelong process of sanctification. For those so transformed, everything changes. The old things have passed away. Old values, ideas, plans, loves, desires, beliefs vanish, replaced by the new things that accompany salvation. It's just amazing to me that um, as I was studying this, uh, the same word that's used here to pass away is also used in new creation theology in Revelation chapter 21. The old, once the new creation comes, old things pass away. In Revelation 21, what is that? Tears pass away. 
Death passes away. Mourning passes away. Crying, pain, all of those things that belong to the first things. The first things, it says, have passed away. Brothers and sisters, there is a new creation coming God is going to renew the universe. He's going to make a whole new heavens, a whole new earth. Nothing abominable will be there. It will be absolutely perfect and pure. This is why God is, as the Puritans used to say, fitting us for heaven, getting us ready for our eternal habitation of holiness. That's why He wants us to be holy, even as He is holy, because we're going to live with Him forever in utter holiness. Think about that. We can't. I'm convinced. I don't even think I can imagine that. A day in which I wake up, well, I don't know if you'll sleep. Anyway, let's not speculate. But, but, but a whole day in, in the new heavens and the new earth where I don't sin, not even once, when I get up, when I go to work, when I do whatever it is I'm going to be doing, ruling and reigning with Christ and throughout the universe, wherever that is, whatever He's going to do, it's going to be more glorious than this place, I'll tell you that much, but that I will never sin. I will never sin. And through all eternity, my heart will be ever enlarged with the knowledge of God because there is no sin to pollute that knowledge. There is no sin to hinder the knowledge of God from eternally expanding in my mind. It's just amazing Amazing, amazing. So all these things have passed away, but there's also positive effects. Notice he says, new things have come. Verse 17, let me read it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now, he emphasizes these, the positive effects of our union with Christ in two ways, okay? First, he does this by saying, behold. You see it there? That's on purpose. That's just it's not a throwaway word. He threw that in there for a reason. One commentator says that little word introduces an element of triumph. He's calling it's an attention-getting device. In other words, he's trying to escalate the emotion of the reader. Behold, everything is new. The new things have come. You're a new creation. You're, you're, you're a new person in Christ. You're a new creature. Everything has passed away. Don't live as you used to live. Don't live as you once did. So, like God when He said, let light shine out of darkness, like God when He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28, that He brings to being the things that don't exist, like when God produces us in the exercise of His will, James 1, 18, the Father of light, the God of creation. This is a magnificent miracle of grace that is taking place here, and we need to behold it. We need to behold it. The absolute greatness of this life, however, I just want you to remember this, that the greatness of this life cannot be conceived apart from a person. It is not just that you've adopted a new way of life. Oh, brothers and sisters, it's not just that we've adopted a new philosophy, a new tradition, that we've just become this new religion, right? But this has everything to do with a person. It has to do with being in Christ. Again, I will read to you some of these verses that are so dear to the Apostle Paul talking about this issue. 
He says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, that is this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. See, we are in union with Christ. We are empowered and indwelt by His Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 teaches that. He says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he, excuse me, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. How do you know that you belong to Christ if the Spirit of Christ is in you, the Holy Spirit? Just fascinating. The other way that He does this is again by using a perfect tense verb when he says that new things have come. This is speaking about the permanence, the enduring uh, uh, nature of the new things. Unlike the old that are going to pass away, the things that are new in our new creation, in our salvation, will never pass away. These new things will never get old will never do away with them. They will just ever and always increase on into eternity. The way that we look at Christ, the way that we look at the Christian life, our pursuit of holiness, our righteousness, our love for God, our love for one another, our union with Christ, our fellowship in the Spirit, our, our joy in God, these things will ever increase. They will never fade away. It's just amazing. God has certainly made all things new. And you know what I love about God is that He's got all kinds of new things in store, right? This is a simple application. We all love new things, right? If you're a techie, you love new technology. You can't wait to get your hands on the new iPod or iPad or whatever it is, right? If you're a musician, well, then you can't wait to get a new instrument, a new guitar. If you're real materialistic, you can't wait to get that new car or that new house. No, I'm joking, but... It all depends how you hold your things, right? But we love new things. But guess what? Nobody has more new things in store for you than God. It's so amazing what God has done. Murray Harris had a whole list of new things, and I loved it. He talks about being in the era of Christ. He says, when we, uh, where, where there is new wine for a new age, we are in a new covenant. We're looking for a new creation. We are new creatures. God is creating a new humanity. We will sing a new song of redemption, Revelation 5, 9. We will be given new names, Revelation 2, verse 17. We, we've been given a new commandment, a commandment of love. In the kingdom of God, we will have new wine, heavenly wine for a heavenly banquet that will be brand new. If you don't like wine now, trust me, you'll like it when you get there, okay? One of the reasons you'll like it is because it will never intoxicate you. It will, th that new wine in heaven will make you the most sober person in, in heaven. <laughs> you'll be so sobered to the beauty and the glory of God that the wine of heaven is not for intoxication. It is for worship. It is for worship. There will be a new heavens, a new earth, and ultimately a new Jerusalem, Revelation 21, 2. 
God is making all things new and this glorious plan to make all things new begins in your heart as he unites you to his son. So what are some practical implications of all of this? Let me just kind of finish up by giving us three just practical implications of the, and the result of being a new creature in Christ. First, acknowledge that our former lives have been done away with in Christ and look to have no trace of the old man, particularly things that are sinful in your old man. Do away with them. Have nothing to do with them. Don't be identified with them. I remember just a small example. I remember when I became a Christian, I had a whole trash bag full of trash that was all about my old man, who I was. I threw away clothes. I threw away music. I threw away everything and anything that I could find in my room that identified me with the old man because I wanted to put that old man to death and leave him in the grave and throw it in the dumpster and forget that I ever was that man. We ought to get real with that old man and do away with him. Deal harshly with that old man. Don't ever return to life under the curse. Secondly, we ought to acknowledge that God has made all things new, and because of that, we should live out our salvation, not in the oldness of the letter, not in a legalistic fashion, but in the power and in the newness of the Spirit. Let the Spirit fuel your obedience to God. Not because you wake up in the morning and you have a bunch of lists of do's and don'ts, but if the Spirit is in you, then you will have a whole new list axiomatically imparted to your heart. You won't need somebody to stand over you in the morning and say, okay, today you got to read your Bible. Did you pray already? Okay, today you got to do, okay, did you get up and do this? Did you do devotions today? Did you leave family devo? Not under these old lists, the oldness of the letter, but in the newness of the Spirit and, and, and I tell you what, serving in the newness of the Spirit means you will produce a whole new level of holiness and obedience to God than anything you can find under any legalistic system that you can contrive because it will be out of a heart of passion and out of a heart of love. Love does no wrong. That's what Jesus says. Um, finally, the new creation does not simply consist of new habits in place of old habits, new traditions in place of old traditions, a new worldview in place of an old. The essence of the new creation has to do with fellowship and communion with God. That's what union with Christ is all about. Fellowship and communion with God. How is your communion with God going? How are your extended times of communion with God? I'm convinced the 21st century church is not good at this. We have thousands of books written on it, but we're still not good at this. We don't like to labor in prayer. Two hours in prayer, what? I got things to do. I mean, that's kind of a little overboard, you know? Journaling and, you know, seeking the Lord and spending time on your knees, reading your Bible and praying with your family. Who has time for any of that? If you're a new creature in Christ Jesus, I tell you, you need to make time to do that. You need to make time for fellowship and communion with God. That's what it means that all things have become new. You're not just relating to an idea. 
Christianity is not just a system of thought. It is a person. It is Christ. And our chief ambition is to know Him. Let's pray. Father, again, remind us as, Lord, we are all tempted with looking at the old man. We are not beyond Lot's wife. We desire at times to look back, to fantasize about the way things used to be. And Lord, we know that that is just simply the remaining remnants of sin in our life. Help us, God, to do what Colossians 3 tells us to do, to put to death that which is earthly in us. And Lord, in the power and by the power of your Spirit, help us to put on the new man, the new creation, who's being renewed after the image of its creator in all knowledge and holiness and righteousness in the truth. That's what the Word says, Lord, Ephesians 4.24. And God, I just pray that you would so radically change us that um, we know we've been changed. So radically alter our lives, God, that people at work know we're different. Who cares if they make fun of us? Who cares what they say at school? Who cares what the kids are going to say at school? Make Heritage Grace kids, those who are in Christ, make them different. Make them fearless. Give them the heart of Daniel. And his friends, Father, the righteous are as bold as a lion. Help us to be bold for your sake, for your name's sake, and for your glory. Please empower us, Lord, to live this new life, this new creation life that you've placed us in. Thank you, God, for redeeming us and making us new creations, Lord. Because who we were in the old man, who we were according to the flesh, is only destined to perish eternal ruin, destruction, devastation, the consequences of sin, the way of the transgressor is hard. But Jesus, you say your burden is light, your yoke is easy. Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and you will give us rest for our souls. Lord, help us to commune with you lastly, Help us to make this about you, about our relationship to you. Help us never to slip into a dead orthodoxy. But Lord, help us to keep the love of Christ fresh in our heart. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.